Good morning, my name is Meg. Today's reading is taken from Acts chapter 13, verses 1 to 4. Acts chapter 13, verses 1 to 4. Now in the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Uh, my name is Chris. I'm one of the mission partners at HT. Uh, I um, I normally work in Ethiopia, uh, where I um, teach in an Anglican theological college, uh, where we're um, training up church leaders from Ethiopia, South Sudan, and Sudan. Um, back 15 years ago, I was a student at Cambridge, and God really changed my life in a big way uh, during my time at HT. And so it's a real um, privilege, honour for me to be able to uh, share with you all this morning. Today is Mission Sunday and so we're going to be thinking about mission. Uh, specifically we're going to be thinking about sending people uh, from Cambridge uh, to go out and serve God in other places. Now this is only one specific aspect of what mission is. Uh, it's not all of it um, and it's, it's not the easiest aspect to talk or to think about for when we start to think about sending people out. Uh, we have to face some difficult issues about the history of missions and uh, the history of uh, British British colonialism. Um, but um, sending people out is what Stuart asked me to speak about, uh, and it's what our passage uh, that we've been reading today is speaking about. So that's what we're going to do. And as we look at this passage, which is one of the earliest examples of the church uh, sending people out, uh, I hope we'll see that it, this passage speaks to maybe three of the barriers or the main objections that prevent us from getting involved. And as we look at it, I hope we'll come to see that, uh, that sending people out to serve God in other places uh, remains as important and as urgent today as it's ever been. Uh, but let, let, let's start in prayer. Uh, Father God, we thank you uh, for this morning. Uh, we thank you for... Uh, HT in Cambridge. We thank you for the uh, many, many people who've gone out from that place to serve you uh, uh, over the uh, over the centuries. And we ask that you would uh, speak to us this morning. Uh, would you give us ears to hear what you're saying? In Jesus' name. Amen. The first uh, barrier that I'd like us to think about this morning is a reality that, um, that we're often not convinced of the need to witness to Jesus. And we need to be reminded this morning that witnessing is important. Uh, there are many reasons why witnessing is important, uh, but the one that uh, we see in this passage is that witnessing is important because it is witness is produced by worship. Witness is like the fruit of worship. Um, these leaders at Antioch, 
they weren't gathered as a missions committee. They were gathered uh, to worship. And yet it was out of that worship that the Spirit uh, sent them out uh, to bear witness. This shouldn't surprise us. You know, when we witness or when we worship God, we worship uh, the Creator who loves His creation. Uh, we behold the, the Father who out of his love for us uh, sent the Son and the Spirit. And the Son and the Spirit who, who out of their love agree to be, to be sent uh, to rescue humanity, to bring new life to creation. And as we worship this God of love, this missional God, uh, we start to love what he loves. And uh, this love leads us to witness to what he has done. To witness to others so that they might come and receive new life, abundant life from him. I think it's vital that we understand this connection between witness and worship. Because we live in a society um, that's quite hostile or scornful uh, to those who wish to bear witness to Jesus. And I think it's tempting because of our situation uh, to try to downgrade witness. To try to just make witness um, one of many possible activities that a Christian might engage in. But when we do that, when we try to worship without witnessing... We end up living a very inconsistent life. I recently listened to a talk by the late Nabil Qureshi. Uh, who's written some really interesting books on Christianity and Islam. And he told the story of growing up as a second generation uh, Pakistani immigrant to the US. And he spoke of being a devout Muslim teenager. And going to an American high school surrounded by um, teenage Christians. Uh, from America and here's what he said he said this about about the Christians in his high school class he said I knew that they believed in order for me to go to heaven I had to believe in Jesus but none of them ever asked me and so from this he concluded that either these Christians didn't really believe their faith or that they didn't care about him and his salvation this conclusion has stuck with me in a very uncomfortable way. Uh, I have one or two uh, close Muslim friends whom I love dearly. And I hope that they don't look at me and draw either of those conclusions. Uh, and yet, uh, were I worshipping without witnessing, I think they're entitled to. Uh, because whilst it might make me uncomfortable, uh, I can't really disagree with the logic. This Muslim teenager, I think, is exactly right to insist that where we see worship without witness, uh, we know something's wrong. Uh, you know, we can say this confidently because, you know, the New Testament makes this clear as well. The New Testament rules out the possibility of worship without witness by making claims about Jesus that are simply staggering. You know, the New Testament t uh, tells us that Jesus claimed that he pre-existed Abraham. That Jesus claimed that no one comes to the Father except through me. And that Jesus is rightly confessed as my Lord and my God. Now if these New Testament claims are not true. Then Jesus is not worthy of our worship. And he's not worthy of our proclamation. But if they are true. If the New Testament faithfully bears witness to who Jesus is. Then it is crucial that we worship him. And we witness to what he has done. So let's be reminded this morning that. Uh, witness is important and that as Christians we should be giving our time, our talents, our money, 
um, not only to food banks and development agencies, uh, but also to support those who are bearing witness to Jesus, both in Cambridge and around the world. Mentioning the wider world uh, brings us to our second barrier, which is that we're embarrassed about exporting our faith to the rest of the world. And there are a number of reasons for this. I think uh, uh, a very big one is to do with the history of British colonialism. You know, less than a century ago, the majority of people in Britain and the majority of people in Cambridge thought it was a fantastic idea uh, to export England's language, its institutions, its culture and its religion to the rest of the world. And we now see that that colonial mentality was a source of huge you know, violence and injustice and oppression. You know, and there's no way we want to repeat those mistakes. I think our embarrassment with also sharing with exporting our faith you know, also relates to the fact that racism and ethnocentrism are still very prevalent in our society. And that we know that as Christians, we're not called to be indifferent towards these things. You know, where we encounter them, we should be uh, actively opposing them. And so as a result of this situation that we find ourselves in, I think many of us live with, with a tension between, on one hand, wanting to bear witness to Jesus and what he has done, and on the other hand, not wanting to repeat the mistakes of the past and not wanting to just push Western values and Western religion onto other people. And in our situation, I think uh, this passage really challenges some dubious assumptions that Western Christians like me are very, very prone to make. And by doing so, it suggests something that a few prominent African theologians have been saying for a long time. And that is that Western Christians really need to take a second look at the Christian story that they're part of. You know, if we, if we start with our passage today with Acts 13, you know, in Antioch, we see a very diverse group of people. Uh, we have uh, Paul, who's from what is now Turkey, uh, Barnabas from Cyprus, and uh, Manan from Palestine. Uh, we should also note that Niger is the Latin word for black, and that Cyrene is a town in what we now call Libya. So, as many scholars have pointed out, both Western scholars and African scholars, um, there were African prophets and teachers who were involved in Antioch, who were in the leadership of that church, who were preaching and who were involved in spreading the gospel of Christ. And not only in Antioch, uh, I don't have time to go through all of the New Testament passages, uh, but when we remember that Cyrene is in Libya, we think again about Simon of Cyrene, who carried Jesus' cross. And we think again about his sons, um, Rufus and Alphaeus, who were prominent church leaders in the Church of Rome, and who are mentioned both in Mark's Gospel and in Romans. And we might also think again about their mother, who is someone who, in Romans 16, Paul says, has been a mother to me as well. So, Whenever we think about our Western religion and whatever kind of assumptions we make, uh, we shouldn't overlook the fact that there were African church leaders before there were British Christians. As well as the New Testament, uh, we should also look again at the history of the early church. Many of the church's greatest thinkers were from North Africa. Uh, Clement, Origen, Tertullian, 
Cyprian, Athanasius, Augustine. You know, a, these, these men, you know, shaped a huge amount, a huge amount of what we uh, Western Christians now believe. You know, we have an enormous intellectual debt to these places. As well as the early church, we should take a second look at the modern missions movement. Uh, Western Christians frequently narrate this movement as though it began with William Carey, who founded the Baptist Mission Society and was their first uh, missionary. He set sail and travelled to India in 1793. And William Carey was a remarkable individual, a very inspiring guy, and I've got nothing against him. But we must also note that in 1792, a year before William Carey set sail, Whilst William Carey was still writing letters to mobilise British churches and get them, uh, get them behind, get them into the idea of mission, uh, 1,100 former slaves uh, who had become Christians in the Caribbean and in America, they decided to set sail from Canada uh, to Sierra Leone. Uh, it was they, not white missionaries, who planted the first uh, Protestant church in sub-Saharan Africa. Uh, and that church uh, went on to become a real missions hub, uh, sending African missionaries uh, throughout Western Africa. This is one of just many, many stories from the colonial period that deserve a second look. Last but not least, we should take another look at the church today, You know, 60% of which is in Africa, Asia and Latin America. See, when we... Take a second look at Christianity from the book of Acts right through to today. We see that British Christians are actually relatively latecomers into an incredibly diverse movement. Uh, we see that a lot of our Western religion uh, was actually shaped in Africa. And we see that the church in Britain today is a relatively small operation compared with the church in Ethiopia or Nigeria or Brazil. And so we see that our call to bear witness to Jesus is actually a call to play our small part in this much bigger story. It's not a call to dominate or push values or be a, be a hero. This is a call to serve and to enter into genuine partnerships with our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world. And to just support what God is doing uh, in them and through them. Our third and final barrier is that our belief that mission is for every Christian can lead us to react against the idea of sending individual missionaries. Now it is true that mission is for every Christian and I think it is important that a healthy church uh, continually emphasises this. But it is also true that it is good to set people apart and send them out to serve God in other places. These two things are not at all in conflict with one another. That mission is for every Christian has always been true. It was true at Antioch. And yet the Spirit still called that church to set apart particular individuals and send them out to other places. And so Paul and Barnabas are sent out to bear witness to Jesus. And the others are used by the Spirit uh, to support them, to commission them. And, uh, and, and by working in this way... The Holy Spirit brings about a kind of beautiful partnerships and beautiful, like mutually supportive relationships within the body of Christ. 
I'll try to illustrate this with respect to my situation in Ethiopia. Uh, there are two church leaders who I've been working quite closely with in Ethiopia. Uh, one is called Pastor Jeremiah Matt, and the other guy is called Pastor Isaac Mama. And the Holy Spirit has given these guys an incredible gift of evangelism. Um, I've been in churches and I've been on mission with both of them. Uh, and I've seen, you know, I've seen with my eyes, I've seen God use these men to, to heal people. I've seen many people come to faith uh, through their ministries. Uh, one short story. Two years ago, Pastor Isaac was sent to visit a refugee camp in the Gambilla region. Uh, he returned less than a month later having planted a new church and having baptised 56 people. And that new church is still running today. Now, these are quite remarkable guys, and I don't have the same level of gifting that they have. Uh, but I can teach, and so I can partner with them. They share the good news and plant churches, and I run a small theological college, helping to train up young leaders who will help them to run these churches. And at HT... Uh, you bring other gifts into this relationship. You know, Pastor Isaac and Pastor Jeremiah are out witnessing to Jesus and planting churches. Uh, I'm in Gambilla training leaders. Uh, and you are able to uh, pray for all of us and what we're doing. And you help to fund all of what we're doing. And so, and by virtue of me being sent from here uh, to there, uh, I am able to solidify the relationship between you and them. Uh, I support uh, I support these pastors on your behalf. Uh, and I'm able, like I'm doing this morning, uh, to come back to you and to share that you would be so excited if you could see what God is doing through some of your brothers and sisters in Ethiopia. See, the Spirit calls the church to set apart people for the work of mission. And when the Holy Spirit does that, those people are of real value to the body of Christ. They're able to take particular gifts and resources from one place and deploy those gifts uh, where they are needed. And they're also able uh, to form a beautifully uh, mutually supportive relationships between different churches in different places. And that's just as true for the thousands of people from Africa and Latin America and Asia who the Holy Spirit calls to serve, to come to Britain and to serve the church here, as it is for those from British churches who the Spirit calls uh, to be sent out to other places. And so as I finish, I'd like to ask you a few questions. Is the Holy Spirit setting you apart to be sent out? God is doing amazing things in churches all over the world, and he is calling uh, some of us, uh, to go and to support our brothers and sisters in other places. I wonder this morning uh, whether that's you. I wonder whether uh, some of you listening have particular gifts that the church in other places is crying out for. Or is the Holy Spirit uh, using you to send and support others? I think we should... Uh, finish this morning just by praying that like the believers at Antioch the Holy Spirit would help us to discern uh, how we can best bear witness to Jesus and how we can best partner with the body of Christ in other parts of the world and uh, let's pray uh, Father God we thank you
so much uh, for all that you have done for us. I thank you that you have grafted us in to, uh, to your work in the world. We thank you so much for uh, the church at Antioch, for their faith and their courage and uh, their willingness to, to send out and be sent out. And we ask that you would, uh, uh, would you enable us, uh, enable us to follow their example? Would you enable us to uh, discern uh, what you're doing in the world and discern how best uh, we can partner with you, how best we can witness, uh, how best we can witness to all that you have done for us and how best we can partner with our brothers and sisters in other places? We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.